Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, Successful Life Podcast is a space where you can hear stories from badass entrepreneurs and influencers that collectively have millions of listeners and followers. You get to hear their backstories and where they are currently. We discuss how precious your life is and crucial it is to live with a purpose and die knowing the person looking in the mirror today. This is the Successful Life. Corey Barrier, yeah, come learn with me. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with my man, Weston Winner. What's up, Wes? What's going on, bro? How are you? Good, brother. It's been a minute since, uh, actually, it's funny. I, I know you don't remember this, but you remember it now because I reminded you a couple of weeks ago. But I'd asked you to come on this show probably like two and a half years ago. And I don't know what was, yeah, I don't know what was going on. I don't. I genuinely don't even remember that because I, 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 I think I've only actually turned down one podcast like interview in my life. So I don't know. We must have just been like crossing wires and, and running different directions or something. I don't know. Or maybe we were just supposed to have it today. That's right. I mean, that, well, obviously we were. Obviously. <laughs> That's Everything's right. Work <laughs> Absolutely. That's so funny, man. So, Wes, you got, oh my God, dude, you've got an unbelievable story. I don't even know where the hell you begin. I mean, I think you got to talk about, I mean, I think it's important to tell people where you came from and tell people what you're doing now. So, I mean, I'll, 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 we're, we're keeping this a little bit shorter, so I'm going to keep it a little bit more high level. Um, if people are interested in like the full length, there are other podcasts that I have done that are like 90 minutes to two hours long where like I go through the whole thing. Um, but we'll, we'll keep it a little bit more high level. Um, I grew up the son of an entrepreneur and a lawyer in Northwest Ohio. Um, I didn't have the upbringing that most guys in that we know in the entrepreneur space. I didn't have that same upbringing where they were told what they couldn't do and they were told they'd never accomplish and, and, and all that stuff. I had the exact opposite. Um, that being said, my parents actually discouraged me from being an entrepreneur. They wanted me to go work for a company and not have the responsibility and not have the weight and not have the stress of running or owning a business. Um, and so I tried that. Um, I, I went to college. I did graduate college. I double majored in marketing and communication. Basically, I tell people I went to school to learn how to bullshit and sell it to people. Um, <laughs> and so I, when, I, when, I, and when I got out of college, I went straight into corporate America. Um, I started doing sales when I was 16. Probably part of the reason why you and I vibe because that's obviously you are the sales CEO. And that's that's what I did from 16 until 20, 
28, 28, 29. That's what I did with sales. Um, yeah. you know, I've sold everything from, from cell phones to water systems to IT research, uh, digital marketing and advertising packages. And I did the whole deal. Um, but it, that working for other companies, making lots of money for someone else never worked for me. It never sat well with me. Um, and so in late 2012, early 2013, I left South Florida where I was living. I packed up all of the belongings that I wanted, my dog, uh, and headed off to Colorado in a, uh, in a truck and trailer. And I got into the legal cannabis industry. Um, I've been involved with cannabis since I was 16. I have smoked it. I've eaten it. I've grown it. I've smuggled it. I've sold it. I've done it all. Um, and I wanted to get into the, the legal cultivation market. So I did that. And I ran a very successful medical cultivation operation for, uh, for almost uh, right about five and a half years um, until I was raided and then indicted by the federal government, uh, along with the state of Colorado, went through a 13-month legal battle with, with both. I had three, three cases, uh, state and federal. And at the end of it all, I walked away a convicted felon. I pled guilty to cultivation over 30 plants in a state where cannabis is supposed to be legal. I paid a whole bunch of money in fines um, and walked away with, uh, with a third degree, a third degree felon. Um, and that, that kind of, like, that's the, the, the big part of the story that everybody always has like all these questions about. And again, I, I've gone into detail on that on a, on a bunch of different podcasts. Where I'm at now, I, I reside well, in Utah. Um, before you go there, let me ask you a quick yep. question. So what, what made you decide to go from, you know, let's just call it the illegal market. I assuming you were running in the illegal market before you went, moved to Colorado. Okay. So what made, what made you decide to make that choice? I mean, there comes a point at which like, look, the, the, the whole outlaw lifestyle is cool. Right. And, and, and it's got this alert to it. Um, and, the other part is straight up like the black market and cannabis for a long time, there was no white market as it was, right? There was no option. It was either you were in cannabis and if you were, you were an outlaw or you weren't in cannabis. Like there's right. just there's no, no two ways about it. And, you know, I was living in South Florida. I was growing in my house in a spare bedroom, even though I knew that, you know, if I got caught, even though I literally, I, I had two tents in a spare bedroom, it wasn't like I had some huge massive grow up, but I knew if I got caught with what I was doing, I had a mandatory minimum over my head of 15 to 20 years. And it was like, wait a second, I can go to a different state and I can do what I'm doing now legally full time. Yeah. No brainer. Why the fuck wouldn't I? So that's, that, that, that's, that was kind of the impetus. Um, what really kind of drove me was I went to uh, Colorado in uh, uh, late 2012 uh, for a conference for the company that I was the, the corporate company sent me out there for a conference and I went and saw a guy that I had known from South Florida and he was doing it. he had gotten into the industry and he had no prior experience had never been in cannabis no nothing and it was like it was one of those where you see something and you're like wait a minute if that guy can do it I can do it and so that that's kind of what spurred it so would you say that, and, and let's not, I'm not saying that guy in particular, but let's take somebody very similar to him that has zero experience in 
cannabis, what has that done to the cannabis market? Now, I understand that there was a black market before there was a white market, but now that there is a legal market, how does that look to you in terms of corporations and how commercialized, let's say CBD has gotten? Well, okay, so CBD is, where well, we're going to set CBD to, to a side for a second. Well, I absolutely want to talk about CBD because that's what I do now. However, I think that like the fact that the majority of Americans now have access either through medical or recreational cannabis is a great thing. I think it's absolutely a phenomenal thing. However, like all good things, it's not all good. There's some bad that comes with it. And medical, medical markets are protected in, in, in a lot of ways from, I'm going to call it corporate cannabis, from big corporate cannabis, because there are big corporate cannabis corporations now, but are big cannabis corporations. Um, companies like Cureleaf, companies like Trueleaf, um, you know, they're massive. They're multi-state operators. Um, and they are in the business of making money. Like all businesses are, but they are big businesses and it takes a lot of money to run and fund these big businesses. And the focus leaves from providing a quality product or quality medicine that a lot of people need to just let's crank out as much product as fast as we can. Who gives a shit about quality? We don't care. People are going to buy it anyways because we can sell it at a price that people can't say no to. And if it's the only option they have, right. Versus it's either they walk into a store that looks like an Apple store and they buy their, they, they, they buy their wheat for, uh, you know, for a certain amount of money and pay tax on it and whatever else, or they go to the black market and buy from homeboy down, you know, down in the neighborhood, they don't really want to go to. Right. And they, uh, these corporations know that and they prey on that. And it, it's, it's unfortunately, it's becoming more and more prevalent in the medical and recreational cannabis markets where it's not about providing a quality product. It's simply about how much product can we turn out, how quickly. Um, and that, that's a sad thing because cannabis at its core, especially to me as a cultivator, it's medicine. Like, look, I get zero issues with people. And, and, and I was the guy that just got high for a very, very long time. Like that was me most of my teenage and early and early 20s. Any more though, like, and because of my experience as a cultivator in the medical industry, I've seen what the power that cannabis has as medicine. And like, for me, that's where more focus needs to be on. However, and this is a whole other discussion about the, the industries that are fighting against cannabis. Um, but it, it, it's, to answer your original question, it's good and it's bad. And we can segue that into CBD. CBD is no different. It's not, a, it's not immune essentially to, to the, to the crap that goes on in the cannabis industry, right? Because CBD is 50 state legal, it's nationwide, right? It can go anywhere there. It's even more prevalent where it's not about quality. It's not about actually making a product that really truly helps people. It's about catching the, 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 the wave on a buzzword on a new trend and how much money can we make and, you know, either exit this or, you know, just uh, shut the company down after a couple of years. Like, and being in the CBD space, that's super frustrating to me because once again, like CBD genuinely helps people. Cannabis genuinely helps people, but CBD especially 
it helps people without impairment. It helps people without euphoria. You can give CBD to children. And I don't, I'm not a parent, I'm not recommending that people do that. I'm saying you can't. And I'm like, we have customers at our retail company that buy CBD and administer it to their children for a variety of, of, of uses. Um, and, you know, what I, what I would hope, and I, I was on a, on a podcast, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and the guy asked me a question. He said, if you could send a message to, you know, other people in your industry, what would it be? And I said, up your ethics, up your standards, like start operating from a place of like good intention. And I promise you will do better financially than you've ever thought you, you've ever wanted to in your entire life. But those, are, there's just too many people that, you know, just want to, they just want to make some money. They don't care about what they're selling. They don't care about what they're putting out there. Um, and, and that for the, for the market is really sad because it creates a lot of confusion and a lot of misinformation um, and just a lot of almost kind of like non this sense cannabis and or CBD isn't really there to help. Right. That right. it's just that, that, that it's just, you know, a thing for guys to make money on and, I've said this for years. There is more money in cannabis to go around in all segments than any one person ever needs, right? Like we can all do well and we can all do well by doing well for other people. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and I think, and that's really what, what sort of really kind of made me ask the question is because I know that I know that a lot of these corporations, especially on the CBD side, they are churning out stuff that ultimately, you know, they put a bunch of marketing dollars behind it and kind of they can just say whatever they want to, to a degree, because there's not a lot of regulation to it. And so it's important that you got to, you want to know where you're getting your stuff from and where it's drawn and who's put it together and, and the importance of like, it, I would imagine fully being fully integrated, right? Because you're, you're fully integrated. We, right? we are. So uh, most CBD companies, um, whether they're U.S. based or not, the majority of them are using a product that, are, that originated from Chinese grown plants. Most people don't realize this, but the majority of hemp grown in this world is grown in China. And therefore, the majority of CBD products that are sold are sold and they originate from Chinese grown plants. And that's not what you want. Like it's just, right. it, it's not what you want. China doesn't have the regulations that we do um, on, on what can go into plants and what can be sprayed and what can, and, and what can't. Um, and so, yes, as a CBD company, uh, we at anyone CBD, we are, we are very unique. Um, not only do we grow our own plants, my partner and our other co-founder is actually, um, he owns a company in Oregon that provides and, and breeds hemp genetics. So he actually creates the strains that we use to create all of our products. So we are one of the only true seed to sale CBD companies in the world. That's cool, dude. That, like, that, yeah, that, that's really cool. I mean, I've used the product. I think it works great. I love it. I enjoy it. Autumn enjoys it. We take it. We take it at night. Uh, we took it on the plane. I, I was um, going to ask, how did that work for her on the plane? It worked great. She was cool. Like no cool. problems. Cool. Yeah. And That's here's awesome. the th- well. Here's here's why it's really cool with her because she is. Well, she has anxiety, and 
a lot of people, or at least this is my thought, was, well, you know, marijuana or THC doesn't make you uh, have an anxiety attack. I think it would be opposite. But I was incorrect because for her, it does do that. And so naturally, unconsciously, she associates CBD and the THC with the same, right? A lot of people do that. Um, yep. And so for her just to be willing to take it to begin with and have success with pretty, pretty impressive because, you know, she can get in her head about it, you know, and, and think that any of us could, like it's, it, it, you know, unfortunately it could be our demise for a lot of us. Um, but yeah, it worked well. So, all right, let's talk about, let's talk about your other company. <laughs> You mean the one that made you face your fear the other week? <laughs> that is the one. I thought for sure I would never in a million years step in foot in that place. But I'll tell you, I'll tell I'll tell you afterwards. Go ahead. So I, uh, I, I almost don't even call it. It is a business, but I almost don't even call it a business um, because it's my hobby. It's just something I do because I love doing it. Um, I own... Um, I own, collect, and breed reticulated pythons, and I do have a business around my hobby called Wildfire Retics. Um, so I am one of the largest reticulated python breeders in the United States. Um, there are certainly guys that have been doing it way longer, and they're way bigger than me, but I'm one of the few people that solely focuses on retics, as they're called. Um, reticulated pythons, for your listeners that, that don't know, are the longest species of snake in the world. They're native to Southeast Asia, Indonesia, um, parts of uh, part, other, other small micro regions around there. Um, I've got a collection of about 60 of them, um, ranging from babies all the way up to full-grown adult females. Um, I actually, uh, probably, the, probably about a week ago, I uh, got my three biggest females out and measured them. So one is 18 foot, three inches. One is 18 foot, five inches. And the other one, I got her, when I measured her, she was 18, seven. My buddy measured her at 19, one. So she's somewhere right, right close to 19 feet. Um, and those are my three biggest females. And yeah, I've got, uh, I actually just had another clutch of eggs hatch. So I've got about, 90 yeah, about 90 babies um that have that have hatched out and i got about another 40 yeah 40 45 to go um for this season so out of those 90 that hatched how many of them do you anticipate survive or how many typically all survive all of them. all of them. yeah i mean things go wrong things happen right like i might i might lose uh, a couple of them um you know sometimes like you know the thing i always tell people is we are completely manipulating mother nature, right? Like everything that we're doing in the breeding process with these animals is completely like not how it's supposed to be in the wild. So things happen, right? Like sometimes baby snake just refuses to eat. And like, there are guys that will force feed them and do all that. I don't do that. Like if they won't take meals on their own, they weren't meant to make it. It's just that simple. So um, you, you, you might lose a couple generally where you lose babies is from when the eggs are laid until when they hatch. So for instance, my first clutch of the year, uh, the female laid 54 eggs. And at the end of it, I had 47 babies that actually hatched out of that. So that's where you will, where you will lose a couple. Okay. So it's like in the process. I, okay. So it's just, I guess, time, right? You can just have to time it just right. Time, timing, 
timing, temperature. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, and, you know, again, it's, it, it's something I've been doing. I've been breeding reticulated pythons for about five years now. Yeah, about five years. Um, I've been keeping them for close to a decade. Um, and it's, it, it was never something I saw myself really doing. It actually, the breeding program and a lot of that, and especially the social media channels that I created around it, um, those were all born out of 2018, which is when I got indicted by the federal government. And I needed something that I could do to take my mind off the fact that I might be going to prison for like 30 years. And so that, for me, that, that was the snakes. I could just, I could go in. I literally took one of my old grow rooms, filled it with snake tanks, and I would just go in there and just spend hours cleaning, just working with them. And it would take my mind off of all the bullshit in my life. So... This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. No question about it. <laughs> no question about it. So, you know, if, I don't know, if somebody in Colorado is listening to this, like how can they avoid this happening or could you have avoided it happening? Well, so here's the deal. And this will, a lot of people don't realize this. Federal law trumps state law. And by federal law, cannabis and specifically Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol is a schedule one drug. It's illegal at the federal level. Currently. And so, currently, yes, currently. And so, federal government has the authority and the power to come into states, and it still happened. What happened to me is I'm not an isolated case. Like, there, there were several hundred cases like mine in the state of Colorado alone between 20, uh, 2018 and 2020, I want to say. Um, California is the same way. It, it can you avoid it? Yes and no, right? Um, there, there's, there's a lot of things that go into it. The best advice I have for anybody that is looking at getting into the cannabis industry is find a really good legal team. Not one lawyer. You need a legal team, and one of them needs to be a criminal defense lawyer. Period. It doesn't like they, they, they have to be, uh, but you need a really good tax attorney. You need a really good cannabis attorney, a really good business attorney. Um, it, 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 having a legal team is a non-negotiable when you're in the cannabis industry. Even now in the CBD industry, I have a legal team, straight up. Like I, yeah. I will have a legal team for the rest of my life. And it's, it's, a, it's not a fun line item on, on the business expenses, but it's necessary. It's like, it, for me, it's insurance. Like that's what it is. It's insurance. Yeah. Yeah, dude, it makes complete sense. Makes total sense. So, do you see? And I'll just ask this last question. But do you see? Um, do you see like federally them? You know, um, I don't know if there's a ban on on on. I, I don't know how it works. I guess it's up to the states at this point about whether they can have uh, recreational marijuana or not. Is that right? 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's still federally illegal, but states can exercise their right if the people of a state vote to pass medical or recreational cannabis uh, laws, then the state can do it. And I, I want to say there's only like, like six states left in the country that don't have some kind of cannabis reform or law on their books. Um, and like, I, I know for Idaho's one, Wyoming's another one, pretty sure South Carolina's another one, North Carolina. Yeah. Like, yeah, y'all, y'all. <laughs> yeah. So there, 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 there's a couple still straggling out there. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, I, I know North Carolina at least has hemp. I know that. Yeah, for sure. I know but, hemp, but I don't, but I don't, they, they don't have any recreational or medical. No. Do you see it? So my, my, my question, do you think federally, do you see them taking that back or, or making a, <laughs> do you mean like decriminalizing or legalizing at the yeah. federal level? That's um, yes. I, I, so here's the problem with decriminalization. And, and, and I just posted a thing on my social media about this the other day. Last year, under a Democratic president, we had more arrests for cannabis-related crimes than we have in a decade since, since literally the Bush administration. What? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and people, people are going, oh, that can't be true. It's skewed. No, it's not skewed data. Here's the thing. Drug, cannabis is, is considered a drug. Drug offenders are the number one or highest percentage, I should say, of incarcerated people in this country. Drug offenders, period. And hmm. cannabis is considered a drug. And so when prisons need to get filled, what's the easiest, one of the easiest demographics to target? Cannabis people. Period. 100%. It's just it. On, on all levels, from just possession and, and use to, we'll call them, I'm not even using the term, to guys that, that sell on the black market, that distribute, um, to guys that are in the legal market, right? Sure. Like, it, it, it's, it's a really easy target. And especially now for the feds, guys and women in the legal market, they basically have a target on their back, right? Like they're licensed, they're fingerprinted. Like some states, like Colorado, require when you get a license, require you to, to turn in the blueprints to your house. So in case you want to try to hide money in your house, they know they know they have the blueprints. Oh, I'm not exaggerating, dude. I'm not exaggerating. Like wow. cannabis is the most regulated industry in the world over gaming, like over casinos. It's more regulated. And yet they'll still come in and bust people. And enforce federal law and go do the whole rule. So, but this is you know this is the this is the country we live in, right? Yeah. God bless. Yeah. Well, hopefully it get you know I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully they. I, you're right. Look, I mean, I'd love to be. I'd love to be optimistic and say that I could see legalization or decriminalization happening. I don't see legalization at a federal level for for a while. Decriminalization, maybe, maybe. Um, what I see more most likely is that the DEA removes tetrahydrocannabinol Delta nine from the schedule as a schedule one drug and either puts it down to a schedule two or schedule three. Um, Cause you do know that the, there are only two drugs on the schedule one list, right? Mm -hmm. Only two. 
I did not cannabis know that. and her- cannabis and heroin. What? Hmm? Schedule one. Schedule one drug means it has zero medicinal value. That's bizarre. Yep. Yep. Well, I'm just going to show you how you know how fucked the system is. I mean, and 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 to to, to your point, that's it's kind of like a piggy bank, right? It, Cannabis people are kind of like a piggy bank for the government. They just pop you whenever they need to bring in money. And and, and right now, our government needs all the money they can get. <laughs> yeah, no question about it, dude. No question about it. Wes, I really appreciate you coming on today. Can you tell everybody where they can find you? You can just list out wherever you want them to find you. It is super simple. Google my name. And, and I'm not saying this to be arrogant or, or to have someone be like, oh, there's no way, but I am literally the only Weston winner in the entire world. Um, and I have verified <laughs> it. I, I have verified it. Um, so all you got to do is Google my name and you will find me. That's freaking hilarious. I had no idea. All right, brother. I, appreciate I, it, man. I, I was curious one day. And so I got on the Google machine and started looking around and doing a whole bunch of searches and, you know, just going down a bunch of rabbit holes. And I have not been able to find another Weston winner on the entire planet. That's hilarious. That's fascinating. I don't know anybody else with the last name, personally. Right. <laughs> All right, brother. I appreciate it, man. Absolutely, man. Good to talk to you. If you took anything away from this podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and go check out some other episodes on SuccessfulLifePodcast.com. This is the Successful Life. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at CoreyBarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.